Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You guys remember much music? What happened, man? What happened? Remember Master T and Roxy? Remember Monica Diol and Ed the Sock? Remember, um, I don't know, Rick the Temp? Yeah, let's let's not do that. Let's not. Um, look, I, I don't mean to be callous. I, I've been reading all of these eulogies and Much Music Rest in Peace. I could pretend that I, too, am really choked up about the news that Much Music uh, is basically over, that they have fired all of their VJs. I could do a nostalgic look back, the end of the music video era. But I think what I would really be eulogizing would be my own fading youth. I think that that would just be sort of uh, sappy nostalgia. And I, I'm actually more concerned about what is happening now to the people fired, uh, not just the handful of VJs. VJs are people too, but there are 100 plus other people at Bell Media who just lost their jobs. And meanwhile, much music is not dead. It's still there broadcasting. It's still there collecting money, the same amount of money per subscriber, times millions of subscribers. Everybody who has a cable or satellite package that includes much music, which I think is just about every cable and satellite package in Canada, all of that cash is still coming in. So what is happening with that station? What is happening with all of the other cable stations? And how does this whole cable TV scheme 
work. I want to know what's happening and how it's all changing. And today I'm going to talk to Greg O'Brien, who is the editor and publisher of Cart. 2Ts.ca, which is an online trade publication for the telecom and media industries in Canada. Answers coming in a minute. Wait for it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of, organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated, and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. CanadaLand is sponsored by Audible, who will give any listener of this podcast a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. One book that Canada Land listener Alistair Cheng recommends is The Master Switch by Tim Wu. If you uh, used to listen to my old show, Search Engine, you'll remember Tim Wu. He's a brilliant guy, a uh, local guy, actually, who uh, went on to coin the term net neutrality. I think he's running for governor of New York. Anyhow, The Master Switch is this historical look back at new communications technologies and how they were always met with this incredible optimism of how they were going to make life better and revolutionize things only to become instruments of corporate control, which provides some really interesting context for thinking about the internet. It's a fascinating book that you can download for free right now, that one or any other of audible.com's 150,000 other audiobook titles, and you can do it by going to Audible Trial dot com slash Canada land. Go do it now. So Moses very openly took credit for everything. Yeah. And, and he was, you know, he was right about a lot of things. But I mean, you know, you can't be executive producer of every TV show, which is his name was on every TV show, right? <laughs> executive producer, Moses Neimer. Uh, yeah. Sure. I used to get invited to fashion shows and I went to one at Peter Nygaard's place. Yeah. And Moses was there, you know, kind of front and center right behind, beside Nygaard. You know, they're kind of middle-aged guys, and the two girls on their arms were like, 
19, 20. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be king. It is. Good to be Moses. <laughs> All this nostalgia in the news about much music. Oh, much music. I don't think anybody really watches it anymore. Yeah, I, I sure haven't. Yeah. You know, I, I was a teenager in the 80s when, you know, much music launched, and that was just amazing. And you would just watch, you know, Eric M. and, and uh, you know, Roberts and, and all, you know, all the... The other guys, the other guys' names are failing me now. Steve Anthony, those type of guys. They, yeah, they were superstars. Yeah, I remember they were like a big deal. Yeah, it felt to me like an issue of incredible political importance that they wouldn't play the videos of my favorite bands. You <laughs> know, they like wouldn't? yeah, like damn it, why can't they play? Fishbone. This was before the internet. You couldn't get the video. I'd never seen the video, and then I would hear like, "Oh no, they played it," and they were on an eight-hour cycle. So. I I, I tell like what, what, what time was it that you saw the video? Because like you had to wait for it to come around. So I would wait for it to come around. We would all get together and say, okay, it was last on at this time, so it's probably coming back around then. And we would. And they had to program some of the stuff to be after what's called the watershed hour. You know, where you where you can get away with four letter words after nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so they had to program it so it would be after that nine p.m. thing in case any you know kiddies, <laughs> kiddies were watching it and they'd hear a bad word. But what is happening? Why is much music melting down? YouTube, Vimeo. I mean, people get their music video fix everywhere else but television now you know and much music has conditions of license under their crtc license that say they have to air 12 hours of music video every day uh-huh they accept those when they took ownership of the license when they bought it from ctv they have wanted to change it but they they could have acted earlier and then pushed for it a little bit more but they didn't you know so much music much more retro they all have similar conditions of license so they have to play these music videos like, it's in the logs, and they have to prove it to the commission that they played these. They played this many hours of music videos, and this part of this part of it has to be Canadian. And you know, so they're locked into this era of music videos on TV. Yeah, by law, like, do the cops come and like start arresting VJs if they don't play enough music videos, or or is this like, is there some secret? CRTC tribunal that regulates this stuff. No, they're, they're staffers, but they only act if somebody complains. And it's for history, APT, and it doesn't matter what it is. If somebody complains that a channel is violating its condition of license, you know, if the Sportsnet starts, starts showing women's programming, or if W Network starts showing uh, hockey or something like that, somebody will complain to, and take it to the commission and say, they shouldn't be showing this, it's against their condition of license, please act, tell them to, tell them to cease and desist. But the public... I mean, I, I, I assume when I'm watching TV that the History Channel is the History Channel because that's a format that makes money. I, I, I don't imagine that I have any particular right or that, the, like, you can't expect TV viewers to be familiar with the conditions of license of the channels they watch. No, of course not. And, and they aren't. But most of the channels have conditions of license and protected genres. So that's why much music stayed the same as it was for the longest time is because nobody else was still out to launch a music video channel. So it was a cash cow for a long time. And same with history. Nobody else is allowed to want to launch in Canada a history channel because Shaw owns that genre protected license. They have a protected little zone where they can, they have that channel. I have so many questions about this. All right. So Shaw owns history on television. If I'm if I'm putting TV on in Canada, I got to be very careful not to step on Shaw's toes by airing something of historical relevance. Sort of. I mean, you know, if you go to Discovery, which is something Bell Media owns, they'll have so, you know, there's lots of historical stuff on TV. But you can't come to market and say, you know, this is the Canadiana channel and it's a history channel because uh -huh. Shaw will say, no, 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 we have that genre, so you can't do that. So it's it's about branding your, your station that way. It's not about the actual programming. Like, so I could put music videos on another station as long as I don't call it a music video station? As long as you don't call it a music video station and as long as you don't play too many videos. 
It, it's like I don't know all of the all of the minutia and you know I have it all in my head. But but yeah, there's rules that that and it slices up each genre. I mean, if you look at sports, sports has no more genre protection. But when you know TSN owned the only sports channel for the longest time, and then Sportsnet came to came to market and got a license based on they were a regional sports channel, not uh-huh. a national one. So Sportsnet has different channels all across the country. And The Score, which is now owned by Rogers, The Score came to market as a sports news channel. So they were slicing up the genres, but still genre protected. Now, does that cut both ways? Because if Shaw has a claim on history and I can't come into the market with a competing history channel, does that mean that they have to have history programming? Because when I watch the history channel, I'm not seeing a ton of... Like educational history yeah, they, stuff. They, they have to have historical programming. If you take it back to when Alliance Atlantis and, uh, and Canwest owned it, it was much more of, uh, you know, World War II movies and very historical fact-based stuff. And then they would have somebody on to talk about it after the show, yeah. after the movie played. Kind of infotainment kind of. Exactly. And they would, you know, it was very, very hard Historical. It certainly was a historical channel. Yeah. My wife's a history teacher. She loved it. Yeah. And then when Canwes got it, they 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 switched it, and then Shaw's kind of gone full bore into it. So they still have some historical stuff, strict historical stuff on it. But there's a lot of like ice road truckers and all you know, a bunch of reality shows there that you can say, well, okay, there's a historical aspect. You know, there's a, there's a long history of ice roads up north. So you know, that's that's a historical kind of link to it. The historical link, Ice Road Truckers is a historical show because we have historically had ice roads. Yeah. That is insane. (laughs) Genres have always been monkeyed around with. Yeah. You know, so do we still need it anymore? I guess it's like you want a TV license and you want it on like uh, there's a conception of the public airwaves, right? So yeah. it's – you go to them and you say you can't just have a TV license because you pay for it. You, you you get a license to put up a channel if you can sort of prove that it's in the public's interests. Yeah. The way it was, you know, you'd, you'd come to the CRTC with an idea for a channel and we'd have, you know, some comedy. We'd have some, some you know, some movies in return for launching that channel. Because our market's so small, the CRTC would say, okay, that is your channel. You will be the only one that has that has that channel. So you'll be able to go to market free from competition within that genre. Free from competition. And that's that's yeah. a protectionist scheme. Yeah. And, and, and really, if you if you look at the market, I mean, we've got such a small market in Canada. I mean, you know, if if uh, if we had allowed, say, Comedy Central just to come into Canada, we wouldn't have a comedy network in Canada. It would it would it wouldn't have happened. So that's what this is about. And so a lot of viewers would say, good, right? Because a, oh, sure. a lot of viewers would say, I like Comedy Central's programming better than the, comedy, the Canadian Comedy Network's programming. And I don't like having to wait for somebody to pick up the Comedy Central stuff. I, I'd rather just watch Comedy Central. Like, you get a lot of support for that. Yeah, you certainly would. But if you want to look at it you know, on, on a bigger picture point of view, you know, there's maybe 50, 60 people, something like that, works at uh, the Comedy Network in Canada. So those jobs would be non-existent. So this is, you know, so this is, again, we're getting into, it's about those jobs. It's about creating an actual production sector. Yeah. And it's about a, a cultural argument that, you know, it's not, you know, we're not just making jobs to make jobs. What these people are making is now we can have comedy shows that are Canadian comedy shows. And that's, yeah. that's what this yeah. whole thing. It supports the Just for Laugh. I mean, if you look at it, you know, if you sort of draw the tentacles out, you know, there's supports Just for Laugh, there's Yuck Yucks people, all kinds of things that happen in Canada that are underpinned by what the comedy, some of the, what the comedy network does. Right. They become kind of like a cultural hub for the comedy scene in, in, in Canada. Yeah. But how does that actually play out in practice? I mean, and I'm thinking about 
I had a buddy who, you know, got a grad degree in English literature. And the joke was like, well, good luck getting a job with that. He got a job with that. Good for him. He, he was working at book television. <laughs> oh. He had a really cool job. Like, he's going out and interviewing authors. And that actually is like, yeah, in Canada, we have a book TV channel where they do that. He's and not doing that anymore, he is he? He's not doing that anymore. <laughs> no. But there's still a book TV channel. There is. And book TV is the example that a lot of us use to illustrate the problems in the industry. Book TV was something brought to market by Chum. Uh, you know, when it was still run by the Waters family, you know, they owned it. Jay Switzer ran it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so that was one of their genres that they went after and they got it. Um, and they were, you know, like you said, they were interviewing authors. They were doing lots of neat stuff, you know, and, but then Chum was bought, owned by CTV. CTV was bought, now owned by Bell. And book television has just been forgotten. If you look at the CRTC returns for book television, because they have to file these things publicly, book television has a half of an employee assigned to it. And their primetime programming. Yeah. I, I would visit there and, you know, uh, it was Daniel Richler. It was Mordecai Richler's son was like the figurehead and he was he kind of running things or at least seemingly so. And yeah. there were all these educated people going off and, and, and shooting these segments. So there's now 0.5 of a person. Yeah. And there. that's really just an accounting thing. I mean, how do you run a TV station with 0.5 of a person? Well, if your primetime programming is the Waltons and one day at a time, which is ha- which is on book television prime, in prime time, you know, those costs maybe five bucks for an hour, you know, whatever it costs. And there's really no advertising on that channel. There might be some, but... Um, if there's no advertising, then how does it, why does it exist? Why does it make money? It makes about $4.5 million a year on subscriptions because they're in these big bundles. They're in, you know, somewhere in a big bundle. Somebody buys a big bundle because they want W Network or because they want uh, the Food Channel and book television is tied to that bundle. So, a, you know, a few cents of that big bundle goes to book television and Bell will make, you know, say four and a half million dollars a year off of it. Four and a half million dollars. No one is saying I want book TV because I want to watch the Waltons one day at a time. Very few, I would guess. You have to take it if you want this other stuff. If, you, if, if it's in a bundle, you know, you want three of the channels in a bundle, you know, you're not especially interested in the other seven. One of the seven is book TV. Part of your subscription is going to go to pay for, is going to go for book television. So they don't have enough viewers to sell any ads. They would still get the four and a half million bucks if they had no viewers. It, it might be possible that they could just show a log burning all day and still get four and a half million There's channels here. that do that too. Bad example. <laughs> Bad example. Why do we need this? Like something is very, very wrong. And that's part of what this hearing coming up September is going to be about. You know, there there are things like that that, you know, book television should either be sold by Bell to a company that cares about books and wants to make a go of the channel. Or, you know, they should have the genre protections taken away and maybe Bell can turn it into something something worthwhile really because there's really nothing on that channel that you know they part of that 4.5 million that they take in is spent on some canadian content so it's not like bell just takes the money and right that's the deal they've got to part of that money is spent on canadian production but because they have uh, what they call group-based licensing approach so they take all the money they get in for their specialty channels and and whatever else and they they take a big percentage of that giant bucket of money and they spend it on canadian content so a portion of that bucket of money is from book television. So it's no longer uh, incumbent upon them to actually like have producers producing content for book television. Right. 
the, the, as long as some of that money goes into a common trough that is then spent on Canadian programming. Yeah, and, and really that's kind of what happened with Much. They let all those people go because they can kind of keep the doors open and, you know, keep the lights on until hopefully they get, you know, if the genre protection go away and their conditional license can go away, maybe they can go take much the brand, which still has a lot of currency, and do something new and different with it and maybe hire some more people as they're doing something new and different with it. So this sort of like, this is like a bully tactic to the CRTC. They're saying if we're forced to put 12 hours of music videos on the air every day and nobody wants to watch them, then we're going to fire everybody and just stick to the conditions of our license until you change the rules so we can do something different. Yeah, the, the timing is, the, to me, the timing says, you know, is this something they can take to the CRTC and say, look, we had to do this because of our condition of license, because of the way the market is changing. We were forced to do this. Yeah. But if you loosen up, you know, the, the, the word flexible is going to be used about eight jillion times during this, during uh-huh. this hearing. Um, you know, if you can loosen it up, if you can be more flexible, then we can do other things, do different things. You know, we don't have to air all the music videos, which nobody watches anyway, and it'll be better for us. And then it's going to be like MTV, Jersey Shore, or whatever the hell they're putting on. Yeah, we'll see. It's uh, to be determined. But, you know, they've got much more retro and, and all those other M3, whatever it is, you know, that, uh, that they've got to change as well. There's a lot of talk about unbundling. I mean, this is a country where that's in the speech from the throne. Yeah. The prime minister saying, you know, it's like the State of the Union in Canada. It's like you're, you'll be able to pick and choose your TV stations. So I have to imagine that the $4.5 million that they're getting for book TV is going to disappear. If you actually said to the consumer, do you want to spend 2 bucks a month to get book TV as well? then that would be it for Book TV. They would have a few hundred people at best who didn't realize what it was or who, or who really liked the Waltons. Yeah. But never, you know, I, I've been covering this industry for a long time. Never underestimate consumer inertia uh-huh. where you just kind of, you know, everything's kind of okay where it is. I can afford it. I'm not going to change anything. Because at the end of this hearing, yes, there will be, because the government's told them to, there will be ways you can buy channels one at a time. But they're, they're not, they're not going to say you can only buy channels one at a time. There's still going to be packages and bundles because it's cheaper that way. So most people will sit back and say, okay, all this has changed. Do I really want to go and pick channels one at a time or am I happy with the, the bundle I have? And most people will go, eh, and just keep it. I guess it depends on how they market it. You know, do they want you to start doing the a la carte thing? Because I hear people constantly say, I mean, this is one of the most common irritations you'll hear in the world is like, there's 300 channels and nothing's on. Why do I have to pay for all this crap just in order to get the HBO show that I want? Like, that's something that my dad says and my friends, and that's just something any, <laughs> like, if you just run into a stranger and you want to strike up a conversation, you could talk about the weather, you could talk about how your cable plan is too expensive and it's annoying. That's true. But it, it, it boils down to sort of, you know, the, the math and the, and the economics of it. So if you're a fan of W Network, but not such a fan of TSN, you have to buy that whole bundle. Yes. That's the complaint that everybody has. Yeah. You know, and say that whole bundle costs $10. Yeah. And it's 10 channels. You, you know, so people think, I just want W Network, it's going to cost me a buck. I just want TSN, it's going to cost me a buck. That's not what's going to happen. If you want to buy just TSN, it may well cost you $15 just for TSN. It may well cost you 10 or $12 just for Sportsnet. It may cost you $8 just for W. But this is simple economics of any kind of cheaper by the dozen. Maybe you could charge $9 for just TSN. Well, yeah. I mean, and then I you just, try to upsell them into a bundle for yeah. 10 But you can't have it be more expensive to have the standalone. Oh, I know. I'm just I'm giving you some of the scare tactics that, uh, you know, that the industry, uh, you know, has, has, has long been talking about when it when they comes, comes to the economics of bundling. Yeah, I, I've read that as well, where they're saying, don't get so carried away. The government could force us to unbundle it, but you're not going to save a dime. 
if we're not going to save a dime, why have they been fighting it so doggedly for years? I mean, obviously, they're afraid of something. You know, I mean, you might say like, hey, you know, you got you got to do your $25 basic package. And then if you want your HBO Canada, it's going to be $15 more. Why don't you just get a package for $25 more because it'll come with 100 other channels? When it comes to cable TV, a lot of people are of the mentality that, like, less is more. It hurts my quality of life <laughs> to have 200 crappy channels. Yeah. I've got three shows that I watch that are on premium. And, you know, if I can save five bucks a month and cut out 200 channels, great. I've cut out 200 channels that I might have wasted a lot of time on. I think they might be surprised by how many people take that option. They might. There have been some experiments uh, in the market. Rogers will will probably speak at length of the experiment they did in, in 2011 in London, where they broke up the packages like that as best they could and let and, and offered just in, in certain areas of London, Ontario, let them buy one at a time. Hardly anybody took them up on the offer, even though they did a lot of local marketing. Um, but what worries um, the likes of of some channels is uh, TSN likes to to you know they're worried about the Telus example. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what that is. Telus, are you familiar with Telus's Optic TV? It's like Five TV here in Toronto, here in Ontario. Yeah, right. It's, it's uh, IPTV over the telephone line. Yeah, they've been quite successful with it out west. Um, but they are packaging TSN on kind of a sports tier. So, and it's much more flexible. Their packaging because they're a much younger company um, than the rest of them. So they've they've never been public on the on on the number neither telus nor uh, uh nor tsn but from people i've talked to tsn's kind of a 60% 55% penetration on telus whereas in the rest of the country it's 85 90% uh-huh. because they're in all all these basic packages yeah so what worries the channel operators is that is that they'll lose you know they they won't drop down to 20% but they'll lose that a sizable chunk of their viewers yeah I don't know. I mean, it might be true what they've been kind of threatening us with, you know, like, oh, individually, your bill isn't going to go down much. And and, yeah. and in doing this unbundling thing, we're going to lose like a ton of channels. They're just going to die. And you look at the menu of channels on offer, like, I don't know what half of them are. These like lifestyle channels, slice, one detour, twist, the descriptions, like a woman's channel for people facing extraordinary situations. And then you look at the economics behind it and they're just... They just buy and replay like American reality shows. They don't do a lot of original production and what they are doing, like like what do I care? Let them die. Yeah, you're gonna see you're gonna see some channels die. Yeah. I mean that that's without question. In a in a pick and pay universe, some channels are gonna die. The problem is that if it, it gets to be too many of the independent channels, you know, there's Channel Zero, there's Blue Ant, there's a bunch of small companies that are around the fringes and serving small niches. If they get into a pick and pay world where they've got no leverage, no, no, you know, no, no bargaining power. Then it might be, it might be just the independent channels that go away, and just only the vertically integrated companies' channels that survive. Why would that favor the vertically integrated ones and not the? I mean, I would think that if you enter that market and say, "I've got something really special to provide that nobody else is providing," then you would be in a better position. Than just some lifestyle programming that nobody can tell what the heck it is. And but if, just, if all the genre protection rules go away, you know, um, let's, you know, uh, Blue Ant, for example, runs uh, the, the Travel Channel. Uh-huh. And they, they have the Travel Channel license. So if all the genre protections go away, but they've got a really great Travel Channel, and some one of the other big vertically integrated companies goes, oh, they're making, you know, $8, 9000000 million a year on travel. We're going to launch our own Travel Channel. Boom. Uh-huh. They, have, they have the financial power to, uh, you know... To put that channel, put that independent channel out of business potentially. So again, part of this hearing is going to be 
you know, do we get rid of the genre protection? Do we break up the bundles? How do we build in protections for the independents? And there are some there now. So if you go and buy a package of channels from Shaw Cable, for example, at West, yeah, they have to provide to their customers channels other than just what they own. So they can't sell you a package of nothing but Shaw and Chorus channels because right. their family owns Chorus as well. They have to include in channels from Independence, from Rogers, from Bell, it by, it's, and it's by, by regulation. And they're looking at those regs as well. It's like an antitrust thing because we have such all-encompassing media monopoly companies here that if they could, they would just want to sell you their product and, and make money twice. Yeah, but there is also a mindset among the executives that they know that they will they will be in big trouble if they try and you know if they try something too nefarious. <laughs> you know, yeah. they all want to maximize their shareholder value, as they like to say. But they're also cognizant of the fact that it's good for them politically and it's good for the business to have some smaller companies around that are filling in niches that they either don't want to or can't fill. And also to provide at least the appearance of a vibrant industry marketplace where the, where all kinds of different animals can survive. Well, true. And I mean, you know, I, I live I live and work in Hamilton, and without Channel Zero, CHCH might be gone. That's my local station. You know, and Channel Zero came in, very small small broadcaster. Um, you know, they owned only Moviola and Silver Screen Classics, and they were able to cobble together a partnership and buy CHCH. So they went from, you know, a very small independent broadcaster to a really a mid-sized independent broadcaster. They've got about 250 employees, most of whom work at CHCH. And that channel's been uh, 100% revitalized from what it was. It is now the local news channel for that entire area. And people love the station. Yeah, I actually get emails about CHCH and what's happening over there and uh, that I should go do a show on them. They do news from 4.30 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon, just mm-hmm. like nonstop. And it's not a wheel. They have people on the air all the time. Uh-huh. All of this is about protectionism because time and time again, given the choice, Canadians choose American programming. And like you say, if we just let the American stations come in here, if we just let Comedy Central come in here, Canadians would choose that. We wouldn't have our own comedy channel. And uh, for better or for worse, that's how it would be. Aren't they kind of doing that anyhow? Like now with over-the-top services like Netflix, isn't it inevitable that HBO, they already have HBO Go, which they're offering, I think, uh, in like the Netherlands or something as a standalone product. Yeah. The top content that we always want to get that I think the vast majority of our hours spent watching TV, it's, it's American content. Aren't those companies going to figure out like, why am I going through these Canadian intermediaries when I could just sell a direct package, Netflix like, you know, four bucks a month, five bucks a month and, and hit the consumer directly through the internet, which is not regulated by the CRTC. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff in, in that question. Um, and, and that's happening already. Disney last, last week signed a deal with Netflix to be the exclusive, Netflix would be the exclusive Canadian partner for all of the animated and live action movies for Disney starting in 2015. Wow. So their deals with Chorus for Movie Central at West and Bell for the movie network here are done. As of 2015. Yeah. The first run movies from Disney, after they're, out of, after they're in the theater, of course, when they would normally come to pay TV, they would be coming to Netflix instead. So they won't be on TMN, they won't be on Movie Central, just Netflix. So that's starting to happen. Right now, broadcasters are still able to outbid uh, Netflix and others for the Canadian market. So they'll still say, okay, we'll pay you more, Paramount, CBS, whoever, than Netflix will. And they'll say, okay, we'll sign the biggest check. That's really what they're after. But the Canadian market is is really unique when you look around the world. We are right beside a giant, the world's biggest culture producer, uh, like producer of cultural content, and we're the same language. Yeah. You know, 
Europe and France don't have that. Any of the other countries in Europe don't have that. They all speak different languages. Yeah. So they're protected by their language. Just as French Canada is protected by their language. Exactly. The the French market has always had a better media market that, you know, they have their own stars. They have their own star system. We don't have that here because of who we're beside. Yeah. So we raise these protectionary walls. Protectionary a word? I don't know. We we raise these walls. <laughs> I think uh, protectionarist is what Protect, you're looking for. Protectionist. That's what I'm looking for. We raise these protectionist walls over the years basically to build our own system. So we have tens of thousands of people. It's a billion-dollar industry, cable, satellite, broadcast, independent production because of this wall where, you know, if take your – do you have cable or satellite? No. No, Okay. Well, whatever. I do. I do. I, <laughs> you know, so 5%. I get what I want. Let's just leave it there. That's fine. You know, and again, yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm well versed in how you, how you get what you want. <laughs> Believe me, I know I write about it all the time, but I am a, uh, I am a, I am a paying subscriber. Right. So 5% of my cable bill goes towards the Canada Media Fund, my community channel, some other funds. Bell has a Harold Greenberg fund. You know, Kojiko and Rogers have their own funds. And all those funds. Make they go to to help pay for independent production of films, of TV, or whatever that fuels the entire TV production industry in Canada. It would. does, and as more people, if, if more people cut the cord or pare back in what they're paying for, there's less money available for that production. And then if you take Netflix for example, they don't pay anything. They don't pay into the Canadian Media Fund. They don't pay sales tax. They don't even have an office here. So every cent of your eight bucks is going out of the country. Yeah. You know, so that's this is something else that the industry has to come to terms with, and the CRTC and the government has to figure out with this hearing coming up. That's some people's worst case scenario and some people's best. If if you if you've said, boy, I'm paying a lot more than my American friends, or I don't have access to these services that Americans have, and I'm getting all this Canadian stuff I don't even want, and I'm getting all these channels I don't even want, and I'm getting stuff later than they get in the states, and there's some stuff I can't even get. Why don't I? I would love to be treated like an American consumer because American consumers are treated very well. Yeah, uh, I would love to just be able to directly do business with those companies and cut my bill in half. Like you, you get more for your money uh, potentially, and uh, and spend half as much. So True. for the consumer, that could be a wonderful situation. It would just come at the absolute destruction of the production sector in this country. Yeah, if if you think only as a consumer in your monthly bill, and that's all you think about, fine. But if you still, if you like local TV news, if you like the fact that, you know, that there, there are, is a, a news organization in Toronto and Ottawa and whatever, cover, you know, several news organizations in all those places covering what's happening in your, at your, the local scene, the provincial scene, the federal scene, if you care about that, then you should have a bigger picture view because all of that could go away. The problem is is that you're appealing to my sense of uh, you know good citizenry and and and, and um, my desire to have decent journalism, which exists. Yeah. I have that sense, but in order for me to uh, be a good citizen by that criteria, I have to pay into the coffers of you know Bell Rogers and Telus, and you know I, I I have to pay into companies that. When you've got companies that are laying off their staffs and just got some robot putting 12 hours of music videos on all day, or when you've got, you know, Book TV laying off my buddy and everybody else on staff there and playing the Waltons, that kind of good citizen argument doesn't really mean much to me because I I see that the the first thing they're doing is killing anything of any cultural or economic value to, you know, the stuff that I want to watch or the people who I think should be employed. Yeah, it's... You know, it's it's very tough to have an argument from from my point of view. You know, sort of the the big picture point of view when most people just think of you know what they watch on TV and their bills. 
And and that's that's perfectly fine. I mean, we've had, you know, there have been individual consumers that have come before the commission. And I remember this one woman in particular, all she did was read out exactly what she watched on television. You know, she was dressed horribly, you know, but she read out exactly what she watched on TV. And people were in the audience kind of laughing and that, you know, and there was no big picture coming from her. But I took her presentation and turned it into a story saying, hey, this is your customer. Don't laugh at this these person. Yeah. Are your, these are your people, along with the ones who are vacating you, along with, you know, the higher educated ones. This is the people that pays your bill. Yeah. Pay attention to what they have to say. Figure out how to serve them because, I mean, people will happily pay for value if they think they're getting good value. The problem is everyone thinks they're getting ripped off, whether it's their cell phone company, their cable company, their power company. We're just worried that these giant companies are somehow screwing us and we have to be forever vigilant. Well, don't we? <laughs> well, well, in some cases, yes. But in most cases, these big giant companies are just trying to serve their customers well. They actually are trying to run a good company. You know, there's, there's well for them they are. They're trying to run a good company that, that is good for their shareholders. Like I, I've I've been in this industry, covering this industry since 1997. I've seen very little evil in the industry. I've seen people trying their hardest to do a good job and to make a reasonable return. Uh, I don't think it's about evil. I think people uh, act out of uh, their rational self-interest. I guess I fall somewhere in, in, in a strange category where, on the one hand, I guess I sound like some kind of. Uh, you know, libertarian capitalists, I'm just like, look, if, if, if somebody wants to put a, you know, let's talk about news journalism. Uh, I don't want to have to fund Sun News television if I don't watch it. I don't want to have to fund CP24 if I don't watch it. If somebody can put a news product on TV that is good enough for me to pay for it, I'm happy to pay for it. Simultaneously, I'm a staunch defender of public broadcasting, and I'm happy for my 40 bucks, uh, under 40 bucks a year to go to the CBC, and I consider it my CBC, and when they fall short, I'm going to get on their case about it. Yep. You know, But I have a very different relationship in my mind with CBC, who I think owe me good news journalism. I don't feel like a constituent of Bell or Rogers where because I've sort of paid into some sort of taxation scheme, I don't have the same rights to, to appeal to them and say, hey, you're not serving me well. Ice Road Truckers isn't history. Give me real – like my, my position as a citizen is pretty – like am I a consumer or am I a citizen? Like I, I want to know. Well, that's just it. Every, everyone is both, right? Yeah. And if, if you want to serve the citizen then you know, and, and say this is programming that should be good for you and we're taking you through a four-hour long walk through the War Museum in Ottawa and that's our primetime programming. Well, as a citizen, you know, great. But as a shareholder, as a consumer, no one's going to watch that. You know, and if you look at the changes that Shaw has made to history, their ratings are 10 times what they used to be, and they're making a lot more money than they used to. So that's why the, the, the shift in programming there. But, you know, but I and, get, and what value do they create? Because they're just buying American content. I mean, they, they benefit from this CanCon scheme because we won't let the History Channel just set up their own shop here. Well, they, they, do, they do make some of their own reality, uh, reality shows as well uh, for, for history. There's uh, that's a, what's that airplane one? The Buffalo Airways one. You know, that, know. that's a Canadian. That's a Canadian. Uh, you no, they know, make production. them. They yeah. make them. I know. <laughs> you know what? Let me put this out there, and you tell me what you think of this. As we described earlier, there are two things that are accomplished by this uh, CanCon production scheme. Uh, one is it created an, an industry, and it yep. certainly succeeded in doing that. It totally created a Canadian production industry. They make shows every year, and the other thing it's supposed to do is create Canadian culture that is of value to Canadians. I think we can conclude after like, you know, a pretty good amount of time, it has failed miserably at creating that kind of culture. Like, it's very hard to think of programming that's come out of it that people value. Come on, a littlest hobo is timeless, man. <laughs> <laughs>
It is well past the time where the industry can continue to live on renting American programming. If we're going to a pick and pay world, you have to give people a reason to pick and pay for you. So you have to make much better of your own content. Doesn't matter what it is, it's got to be compelling for people to want to watch and for people to want to pay for it. The problem with the former view of Canadian content is that it was a tax. So they produce all sorts of awful shows that nobody remembers or people only remember and laugh their heads off because, man, that was the worst show ever. Do you remember when that played for five years? You know, it was, it was terrible. It actually has a negative consequence. It's supposed to be something that ties us together and gives us culture to be proud of. And because it's the only visual symbol of what you know Canada is culturally, it makes us all feel like jokes. Because you're like, well, oh, like, that's what Canadians look like on TV. Bad production values, bad shows. Yeah. And it actually hurts our, our shared know, sense of self. Game shows where the grand prize was a washer dryer. I mean, come on. You know, you just, you look back on that and you think, I'm trying to, th- you know, you, you try to think, instead of looking them up, if you just try and think in your head of really good Canadian content pre-1990, I think of Hockey Night in Canada, and I can think of uh, the Beachgomers, which which I thought was good when I was a kid. Worst case scenario, I mean, all of this, everything the CRTC is doing is to protect the system as it stands. They're trying to unbundle so that people won't exit cable and satellite. Yeah. Right? Even the government said that. that we, w- we want to give you pick and pay, but we want to save jobs. They're trying to stop people from doing what I'm doing, which is getting Netflix, uh, getting a bunch of other services that I pay for, and maybe some that I don't, but none of which are Canadian. Yeah. Right? They want to keep that money in Canada, and they want the ancillary benefits of some of that money funding production in Canada. Should that be the goal? Keeping us tied to a cable universe where there are tribunals that have to decide whether or not ice road truckers is of historical relevance isn't the real future for the production sector and maybe for the cultural side of things as well finally growing up and telling people and there's tons of skilled and talented and wonderful people you know if tomorrow all these specialty channels disappeared and the jobs that go with them some people would leave for other industries and some people would say I still want to do this. I'm going to start a company and I'm going to try to sell content directly to Netflix or I'm going to try to start my own OTT over the top service or I'm going to uh, I'm going to look at the internet as a benefit not a liability because it allows me to sell my content all over the world. Yeah, I mean everyone sees the wave coming, you know, and we can see that it's it's a global media world. We can see that people want to buy content from around the world. We can see that people don't want to wait for Downton Abbey, you know, to be available here, you know, four months, six months after it's available in, uh, you know, in in uh, in Britain, um, you know. And for the longest time, we were able to push back the water with the room that we have. Most people can see that we can't do that, but when you're running some of these big companies that are still making billions of dollars off the old way of doing things, they're trying to balance still keeping that success going with trying to cannibalize it at the same time and figure out new ways to do it. And traditionally big companies in whatever the industry have had a hard time doing that and have been blown up. You know, the music industry is always the one everyone cites, of course. Yeah. You know, so everything is going to be a pick and pay world. And in the end, we might all be paying more for content than we do now, but you have to, Take a step back and give a reason for people to pick and pay for you. Yeah. I could see their point. Like, maybe it's not about putting up a dam and trying to keep Canada some protected place that doesn't ever get these internet services. Maybe it's about, okay, we get it. The wave is coming. The wave might even be here. We just don't want to drown right now. It's going to hurt less if we lose jobs 
a little bit at a time, if these organizations make a little bit less each year, if people have time to find new careers, yeah. if, if the model has time to evolve into a new model. But I don't think you get to negotiate with radical change like in that no, way. You, you got to be fast and nimble enough to build a surfboard, a speedboat or cobble together a raft, something that can ride that wave out. You know, something that you can build upon. And it's not going to be Shaw or Rogers that suddenly figures out how to build that surfboard with an electric motor and laser jets. It, well, it depends. It, I mean, $5.2 billion for the NHL in Canada, that's a pretty big dam that, that, they've, that they've built and they've stuck in, you know, stuck in the ground. Yeah. That can protect them for a little while. So That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so then what Rogers becomes, what the incumbents become in this space are not the company that's building that incredible new vessel that's going to like actually ride the wave. They're just a company with the deep pockets to build the biggest dam. The sad thing is they had, led by Rogers, they were trying to build something that would be kind of a Hulu Netflix clone. It was called Show Me. It was in the documents that they were signing with uh, with some of the studios, S-H-O-W-M-I. Uh-huh. You know? So that was the sort of the working title of it. Cineplex was going to be a partner, Rogers and Shaw and Bell. And they were going. They were signing deals with, with all the major studios around North America where all of the stuff would be available to Canadians in one spot online for, for you know for, for one low price. Or if you were a Rogers customer, you would get it cheaper or free. They were still working out the details. So it sounded back in January like, all right, this, this could work. You, know? yeah. you, you give something where everyone can get everything in one spot, that might work. Of course, corporations don't play nice. Yeah. That's all come apart. Rogers and Shaw are kind of trying to work on a joint venture to do as best they can and cobble something together. You know, Cineplex looks like it's out and Bell is going to do something on their own. And instead of, instead of launching in the back to school time, they might launch in November, December. So it's so instead of a decent Canadian equivalent to like Hulu, we're going to have like the Rogers version and then the this version and then the which is the problem we have now. We've got apps all over the place. This go, that go. You know, you download this and type in your email. They're all terrible for your provider They're, and so yeah, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Apple, Amazon, Google are all in an arms race now, and it's uh, as far as I can tell, TV is the last major screen that. Silicon Valley wants to basically take control over yep. some kind of God device, you know, the iPhone of TV, yeah. the smart TV that will bring the internet to every TV uh, and th- that will kind of give whoever cracks that magic formula will have that credit card number on file and will be the gatekeeper for all the content you watch on yeah. TV. How vulnerable is all of this stuff to something like that. If somebody, you know, and those are the contenders, it could be somebody else entirely. But if Apple were to come out with something that had the same kind of like consumer lust as the iPhone of just like, wow, you've put it all together. Everything I ever wanted out of this experience. Yeah. It's easy. The price point is right. You you, you know, this in the way that they were able to strong arm all the players in, in iTunes to just getting everybody on this common platform. If Apple were to do that, would that be game over in Canada? Um, it's it's hard to say. Like personally, I, I have a much different opinion than a lot of people. I, you know, Google and and Apple. I don't know why they would bother making TVs. I think the God device already exists, and it's your smartphone. And what's going to happen is the copyright deals are going to gradually expire year to year to year. And more and more, they're going to go to Google and to Apple because they have so much more money than everybody else. Just as Disney did with Netflix, it's going to be... Exactly. Yeah. So everyone's going to have a smart TV. You know, you can it'll cook up wirelessly, wired, whatever you want. It's, I, I think it's going to be more or less a dumb monitor where you're going to direct it from your phone. 
or from your wearable or a tablet, whatever. Fair you enough. Like, I, I get your point. You the know, screen is almost secondary. And it's whoever owns the best, the copyrights to the best content. So if the next, uh, you know, let's let's just pick a, you know, the Big Bang Theory, for example, you know, most popular show in Canada, uh, you know, right now. So if you know the next contract negotiation or the next Big Bang Theory comes out, uh, maybe it's not on CBS. Maybe Google says, okay, we're making this, just like Netflix says, we're making this, and it's for the whole world. Yeah. You know, and here it is on your phone. Like, th- this is exactly where the world's going. Ne- you want Netflix content? You can get it on your phone. You can throw it to your TV, you know, or you can take your Apple TV and go on to Netflix, your Boxy, your Roku, whatever you have. Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world and just watch it. I mean, that was really cool after all these complaints about Netflix Canada sucking. But when everybody got excited about House of Cards, same day it came out in the States, it came out in Canada. Yep. Yeah. And then Orange is the New Black and, you know, all the rest that they make. If content all moves to the internet and our players here who were never really big content kings anyhow. They were content middlemen, you know, buying and reselling, like you say, renting American content. All roads still lead to them because they own the internet pipes. Yep. Is that what these layoffs are really about? Is that what they're thinking? Is it, are they saying, you know what, fine, we're abandoned. Like, is it possible that after all of this yammering about Canadian content over the decades, they're essentially going to abandon ship and just say, you know what, we'll get you here. We'll get you over your internet connection. That's where we're going to make our money. It's a good business to sign somebody up for whatever dollars a month, and you basically have them for life. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read everything that comes in. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. The website is canadalandshow.com. Don't forget to download a free audiobook right now at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Christopher DeMello, and we're going to have another episode for you on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. Thank you.